If you have your scriptures with you, open them to Revelation chapter 10. We're going to continue our look at this amazing book. And uh, as you turn there, it's also in your bulletin, by the way. The passage is in your bulletin, and so you can uh, read along there. But I'd rather you not. We've been trying to experience the book of Revelation as I believe the early church experienced it, and that would be that they listened. They would have listened and absorbed what was written there like a picture. They wouldn't have thought about it like we do very often, that it's a puzzle, something you've got to figure out and puzzle that out. But rather, they would have caught it in their mind. They would have had a picture of what's going on. And so if you're willing, I hope you'll just listen. And uh, then when we actually look at the text in a few minutes, uh, you can look at the text either in your bulletin or in your Bible. But now hear God's word. And then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his feet was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. And he had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and earth and what is, and the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in that, and there would be that there would be no more delay, but that in the day of the seventh trump, the seventh trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the scroll and he said, Take it and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many people and nations and languages and kings. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given to the nations, and they will trample the holy city forty two months and I will grant authority to my witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth and if anyone would harm them fire pours out of their mouth and consumes their foes if anyone would harm them this is how he is doomed to be killed 
They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over water to turn it into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them and their bodies will lie in the streets of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets that had the power to torment were dead. And after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And when they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here, and they went up to heaven in a cloud, their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. This is the word of the Lord. Well, now we're really into it. This is where it starts to get interesting. Dr. Dennis Johnson in his commentary said this, listen, When evil is everywhere and the world is ripe for judgment, can God protect His own? When enemies, economies crash, when civil order falters, the social fabric frays, when restraint and respect give way to rude aggression and random violence, when greed and animal appetite Uh, reign supreme when consensus and community decompose into cultural war. This question weighs on the hearts of people. Can, will God keep Jesus' little flock safe as they stand? As it seems, defenseless in the crossfire. You see, there's the book of Revelation has these interludes, and we just read an interlude that dramatizes the delay that we have in the final judgment. You know, the question that the disciples asked Jesus when he was getting ready to go to the cross, and then after he had rose from the dead, two times they asked him, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus was very blunt. He was really was kind of, Kind of hard on him. He said, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons. He, he told them, he said, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all these things in different places, but the end is not yet. All he said was, follow me. Obey me. Listen to me. Keep your eye on me. Go into all the world and make disciples. Don't worry about all these things. And yet we cannot resist asking the question of the book of Revelation and other prophecies, when, when, when. And prophets rarely, 
I think there's only a handful of places in the entire Bible where the prophets actually predicted future events. Most of the time, when you're reading the prophets and the prophecies of the Old Testament, most of the time, these prophets were commissioned specifically to describe what was happening at the time and help people make sense of it. Not to puzzle it out and figure out when it was going to happen, but what was happening and why. And if you listen to me, that will make all the difference in the world in your own life. Because a lot of times we want to know, when is this going to end? When is this going to stop? How long do I have to go? What is going on? And God wants us to keep our eyes fixed on Him, on His Son Jesus, and follow Him. It's not that the questions aren't legitimate, they are. But that's certainly not what the book of Revelation is all about. See, living in this life, living in the already, not yet, the in-between time between Jesus' resurrection and ascension and His second coming, and it could last for thousands of years, could last millions of years, we don't know. And Jesus said, we will never know. We will not be able to predict. And so quit predicting and live. Live like He's coming in the next second. And live like it's going to be two million years. Live fully and completely. The seals, if you remember, and I know some of you haven't been here for every one of these weeks, but during the opening of the seals, there was an interlude between the sixth and seventh seal. And that interlude, chapter 7, God gives us a picture of Him sealing, putting His seal, just like we did on these two babies this morning. It is the same thing. Putting His seal and saying, these are mine. Nothing's going to touch them. I will never lose them. They may be killed. Rome may destroy them. Religious people may kill them. Uh, uh, throughout the ages, doesn't matter. But they're mine. And He promises us that we, that we will not be lost. And here, between the sixth and seventh trumpet, last week we did all seven trumpets, but we took, we took a break from this middle section that we just read. He gives us another picture, but this one is a little more complicated, so I'm going to try to help untangle it. And so here we go. This is chapter 10 and first part of 11. What do you see? This is the outline we've used every week. What do you see? Why do you see it? Who do you see? What do you see in this interlude, in this little break from the action of the seven trumpets? First of all, you see a mighty angel. Look at verse 1 and 2. You can look at it in your notes or in your Bible. This mighty angel has an open scroll. Notice the scroll is open. And this mighty angel comes down with a scroll. And look at his appearance. It's amazing. He's surrounded with a cloud. There's a rainbow. His feet are like the sun. Uh, his face is like the sun. His feet are like pillars of fire. And he stood on the right his, with his one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. It's really very dramatic. And this angel looks so much like the vision of God and Jesus that we saw in chapter 4 and 5, that some commentators and some cults have said this angel that we see here is Jesus. But the good commentators, the better commentators say, no, it can't possibly be. But this angel is certainly reflecting God. In other words, he's the perfect spokesman for God. 
in that he has all of the accoutrements of that throne room. He comes with all the force, all the strength, and all the authority of heaven. But where does he come? He comes to earth. And he puts one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, which tells us that this message that he is bringing down from heaven to earth, the open scroll that we had just seen back in chapter 5 and opened in chapter 6, he's bringing the scroll down because these judgments are going to apply to the world below to the created order. And then seven thunders are heard. Look at verses 3 and 4. These thunders, and what do you expect? When you hear the thunders, you expect that another cycle would begin. But instead, the thunders are quieted and told not to sound. We're not to know what they say. And again, we cannot hardly resist. You know, what is it about human beings? We can't hardly resist. You know, there's, there, have you ever watched a horror movie? Have you ever watched these scary movies? No? I know y'all are too Christian to do that, but I watch these scary movies. And you know, the, 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 the guy or the girl is walking down the hall and it's dark, right? And there's a door. And she walks, or he walks straight to the door. And what are you yelling at the television? Don't, don't open the door. The, Jason is behind the door. <laughs> Everybody knows except the person that's there. You know, the, 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 you know there's somebody with, the, with a steak knife ready to stab you behind the door. But we, they can, we can't resist. Human nature, we go to the thing we're not supposed to go to, right? We go where we're not supposed to go. And sure enough, we want to start puzzling on what could those thunders mean. And speculation, people have written books about thunders. And the text, John simply says, they were sealed up. Not just for a little while, forever. We're never going to know. What does it mean? Again, one commentator said this, John is to seal the thunders speech forever. God will not allow human rebellion to trace its endless cycle of injustice and misery. In fact, he hastens to his people's relief. Do you see, this thunder, thunder in the Old Testament and in the New Testament represented what? Judgment, horrific judgment. God coming to, in wrath to destroy and judge. And yet, here right in the middle of this dramatic scene, the thunders are stilled. And it's as if God is... In fact, look at verse 5 and 6. He takes an oath. The angel takes an oath. This is what is so cool. If you just read it like it's... And, and don't try to add to it. Just read it. He takes an oath. And he says, after the thunders sound, he says this, No more delay. When the seventh trumpet sounds, it will be finished. He stops. In other words, it's as if, almost as if his hand is raised to drop the wrath of God onto the earth and do something horrific, worse than what we already see. And he stops. He shows mercy. He, he cuts back. He doesn't extend his hand all the way out. Do you realize, you know, folks, 
I have, I can't tell you how many times I've either read or heard somebody say, I don't understand God's anger. I don't understand His wrath. He's such a wrathful God. He's so filled with wrath. I like Jesus much better. The, you know, He's kind and He's mild and He's meek. They never read Matthew 23, I guess. Uh, you know, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. You know. But really, think about it. How many times... In the, in the Old Testament, did you see God absolutely pull back and, and not, not extend His wrath? In fact, most of the time, He did not carry out His wrath. Most of the time, the majority of the time, He showed grace and mercy. In fact, most of the time, when people deserved to be wiped out, He would extend kindness and grace. It's shocking, really, but we want to concentrate on this horrible, mean God who's just out to get everyone instead of looking at how many times... We look at the positive side of how many times He did pour out His wrath and don't look at all the times He withheld His wrath. And they far outnumber. The only time... And look, I'm a student of the Bible. I, got, I have a master's degree in divinity. That should impress everyone. <laughs> I don't have a master's degree in economics. Be more helpful. Or business administration. I got a master's degree in divinity. So one thing I do know. I know this. Of all the things I know about the Bible, I know one thing for absolute certain. There is only one time in Scripture when God's wrath was poured out unabated. Without reserve, one time that someone took the cup of God's wrath and drank it, not all, not to just a little sip, he drank it with the Bible says down to its dregs. He drank the bitter part at the very bottom, the sludge. All of it. The only time in this whole Bible where he actually poured it all was on His Son. And if you don't see that, you get a very warped view of the God of the Bible. No more delay. When the seventh trumpet sounds, it will be over. And then he has this little scroll. Look at verses 8-11. through 11. And again, there's all kinds of speculation. Look, folks, just read for what it is. It's an open scroll. The angel brings it down from heaven. We just saw it a couple of pages back. If you just flip back a couple pages, there's the scroll. It was in the hand of God sitting on the throne. Jesus the Lamb was the only one worthy. He gets the scroll. He breaks the seals. Now those seals, they unleash these judgments, the, set, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and it unleashes this judgment on the earth. And that judgment is continuing to this day. I've been making the case for the symbolism in the book of Revelation rather than the puzzlement of the book of Revelation and try to puzzle it all out. It's symbolic. And these judgments were unleashed into this world and depending on where you live and at what time you live, they are here now. And the same way with the trumpets. They are ramping up. They get greater and greater. They get higher in intensity. And at some point, and no one will ever know, no one will ever be able to predict, like a thief, Jesus said, like a thief coming in the night, this 
end will come and no one will know when it comes. And that coming is ahead of us. Sooner now, what do I tell you every week? Sooner now than when I started the sermon. Sooner now than when I went like this. Sooner now than when I do this. You see, it's, it's on its way. It's like a tsunami. It's coming. And He will come. And there will be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes. And Jesus said, the end is not yet. The end is not yet. So he gets a measuring stick. Look at verses uh, starting in, in chapter 11. This is fascinating. Uh, follow the, follow the, the train. He's just moving. He's moving along. There's all these things going on. Don't get caught up in all the details. You'll lose track. He takes the scroll. The scroll, he tell, he's told to eat the scroll. He eats the scroll. And th- that is a symbol for him. T- John has taken this st- scroll in and it is, it's for the, for the world. It's for the created order. It's, it's a scroll of judgment. There's nothing secret about it. And he eats the scroll. And the angel says, you, John, he uses the singular, he says, you, John, must prophesy again to many people. He's simply telling, John is not going to be reincarnated. He's not going to be raised from the dead. He's simply telling John, listen, folks, it's too simple. He's telling John, your message, the one I'm giving you right now, the scroll that you're eating and taking it in, and it's, it's bitter in your stomach, but in your mouth it tastes sweet. This is a, a message of good news, bad news, of judgment and redemption. And folks, I told you last week and the week before, there is no gospel, there's no gospel without the bad news. And the bad news is that human beings are in fact estranged from God, alienated from God. Now if you don't believe that, just ask yourself, whatever you believe about God, whatever you believe God is, he, she, it, them, they, whatever it is, how do you deal with that God? What what is it that you do? And you will find yourself somewhere at some level transacting with that God. Even if you make that God up, you will say, okay, my God, whatever my God is, in order for me to be acceptable and to do what is right, and you know, I got to be a good person, or I have to wear my hair this way, or I have to dress this way, or I have to do these, you will come up with something. And if you say, I don't have any rules in my religion. What did you just say? What? You have one rule. I don't have any rules in my religion. Well, there's your rule. There you have one. But people get really strange when they talk about religion. And John is saying, this message is good news, and bad news. And Christianity is. It is bad news followed by... I can't describe it to you folks. I'll spend my life talking about it. The good news. The good news. Jesus only means something if you see the cup of wrath. Only. Otherwise, he's just a nice guy. He's like anybody else. Just a nice guy. 
Oprah Winfrey calls him a nice guy. And he is a nice guy. And more. But my goodness, if you don't see the bad news, you never get the good news. He gives him a measuring stick. And he says, go and measure the temple of God. What is the temple of God, folks? What is it? It is the people of God. The Bible tells, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 4. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of a living temple, and that living temple is made up of living stones that are who? You and I. We are the living stones. And so he's saying in prophetic language, go measure the people of God that are on the earth that are suffering. In other words, they're going to be safe. Like he sealed them before. Like he's protecting them under the altar in chapter 6, under the fifth seal. Like he tells us throughout the book of Revelation, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to say yes to you, yes to your house, and yes to your children. And all I'm asking from you is that you'll trust me. That's all. I don't even want your money. Although we would love to have your money. I don't want your stuff. I don't want anything from you other than to trust. Just trust me. Will you trust me? That's all he's asking people to do. Trust me. Put your trust in me. And come what may. You know, the earth may fall. The mountains may fall. The psalmist said, they may collapse into the sea. But God will never forsake us. And that has held the church in place for centuries. Then there's this interesting thing. These two witnesses. Now don't, again, think with me. Two witnesses. This is, I will give them power, these two witnesses. And they'll have sackcloth. They're going to be wearing sackcloth. They're going to prophesy. Look at this. This is where we get, I know it gets, I know it gets a little hard, but just listen, follow along. I will give my two witnesses who are dressed in sackcloth and prophesying uh, during 1260 days, and then he tells us who they are. So look, don't try to puzzle it out, folks. Just read the text. Who are they? Who are those two witnesses? He says right there, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. See? No, it wasn't that easy. Wasn't that easy? The two olive trees and the two lampstands. That was very simple. Everybody okay? No? I can see I can see them. I did the same thing. I wanted names. Give me names. Is it Moses? Is it Elijah? Is it Methuselah? Is it uh, Enoch who didn't die? Is, is, it, is it some two mysterious prophets that are going to come out of the Judean desert in Israel in modern days? Who is it? I want their names. Give me their names. Wouldn't you love to have their names? I don't want to be one of them, by the way. I don't want their name to be Chuck. And he doesn't give, why doesn't he give us a name? Why? Because they probably are not particular people. They're probably exactly what he's been doing. Look, in keeping with his 
method of explaining things. He's saying the church, the temple of God, and the two witnesses, which we are, we are the witnesses. It took two to be a credible witness under Jewish law. And so I'm making the case. You don't have to believe me. You can try to puzzle it out. And if you do, please let us know. You can write a book. You can write a book. People make millions writing books like that, puzzling this stuff out, and Christians eat it up. And I'm telling you, the two witnesses, according to what I'm seeing here, the vision, are the witness of the church. They prophesy 1,260 days, three and a half years. The olive trees, if you look in your Old Testament, he's referencing Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah. You can go back and read it. And the two olive trees were these two figures, Zerubbabel and Joshua. One was a royal figure, Zerubbabel, who would rebuild the temple. The other was Joshua, who would offer the sacrifices in the rebuilt temple. And both of them together prefigured the branch that Zechariah talked about, who was none other than guess who? The branch was Jesus Christ who would unite both the royal and the priestly and the prophetic. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, we have this amazing question. uh, who, who Who is the redeemer of God's elect? Who is the redeemer? And the answer is Jesus Christ is the only redeemer of God's elect, who fulfills these three offices. What are they? Do you all remember from your catechism? Prophet, priest, and king. The two witnesses are us, and Jesus Christ is this branch that Zechariah was talking about. So quick, we got to finish. These are symbolic The book of Revelation is symbolic. The numbers are symbolic. The 1260, the three and a half years, the three and a half days, the 42 months. If you try to put numerical values to all of these things, you have to start over. And I'm I'm not telling you not to. In fact, this is the, the majority report. But I hope you'll read it differently than this. These are pictures. They're images And when their testimony is complete, that is at the end of the age, someday in the future, folks, Satan is going to be released. In fact, you're going to see it in chapter 20. He is going to be released from his chains of bondage. And he is going to unleash on this earth uh, a kind of wrath and a kind of horror that we've not seen yet. No one has seen it yet. And when it does come, we won't even know it's happening. It will be that horrific, and that quick. It'll be a very short time. Look what he says. Their bodies will lay in the streets for three and a half days. Now you have three and a half years, you've got 1,260 days, you've got 42 months, you've got all these numbers, but here you have a very tiny number, a number that is very small. So he's saying that before the resurrection, it's going to seem like three and a half days, just like the blink of an eye. And then look at verse 14. The terror is past, and behold, the third woe comes quickly, 
and he introduces this final trumpet, the trumpet shall sound. So what do you see? Let, let's go to that. And then in the Q&A, if you have some questions, I'll be happy to answer them. I'm sorry we have to rush through. But look, why are you seeing this? Why are you seeing this? Several things. First of all, the gospel, which I believe is represented in that scroll, the gospel is good news and bad news. Don't tell somebody that coming to Jesus is going to solve all your problems. Please don't do that. Coming to Jesus does not solve all of our problems. Coming to Jesus, in fact, introduces a whole slew of new problems. See how unpopular that is? I thought I would get some Presbyterian amens right there. No, right. Coming to Jesus doesn't solve problems. Coming to Jesus saves you. Problems will come. The difference, the difference is this, folks. If I could put it this way. You're going to have trouble in your life. doesn't matter. You're going to have trouble. There's trouble in River City. Right? And how do we spell trouble? P-O-O-L. Do you guys not watch Broadway musicals? No, okay, never mind. Oh, dear. I am so messed up today. All right. You're going to have trouble. Look, your life's going to be filled with trouble. Difference is, are you going to go through it alone? Are you going to go through and try to fix it on yourself? Are you going to try to figure it all out? Or are you going to have someone who is in that trouble with you? who promises to uphold you and carry you through and be with you and weep with you when you weep and and rejoice with you when you rejoice and be there at the darkest moments. Do you know when you are lying on your deathbed and gasping out your last breath, nobody can go with you there. Nobody can take that step with you. And Jesus is saying on the other side of that, He's saying the moment that you gasp that last breath, the moment the heart stops beating, I will catch you up in my arms. Look what He said. He says it. They get caught up. Come up here. They get taken in and carried into God's presence. Secondly, the word of God will not fail. He promised John. He said, you're going to have, you are going to prophesy again. In other words, the, the, the Bible doesn't end on the Isle of Patmos. Remember that? He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's in exile. And he's telling John, he's promising John, take it in. It's bitter. It's sweet. But you will. Do you know that 2,000 years later, do you know how many authors nobody knows even existed? We're still reading John's letter. We're still taking it in. Do you know that 2,000 years from now, people will still be pouring over this book? It is alive, living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And like the two witnesses, we must remain faithful. He's telling us we must remain faithful. And he's promising us that if we do, if we will stay faithful, we are sealed. We are protected. That even if they kill us, our death will only last for three and a half days. Our grave, whatever. Don't think literally. Don't think in times of time. It's short. The amount of time between the, the closing of your eyes and the opening up 
of your eyes in, in God's presence is a blink. What, it, what does the scripture say? In the blink of an eye. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from the grave. Then with them, all who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So, encourage each other with these words. No one, if you put your trust in Jesus... No one who puts their trust in Jesus will ever see the inside of a grave. Now can you say amen? You will never see the inside of a grave. How can I make such a claim? How can I dare say it? I didn't. (laughs) I wish I had. Jesus said it. He said, I'm the resurrection. If you believe in me, you will never die. And to prove it, He rose from the dead. That's why we're seeing these images. Why we're seeing these visions. Why He told the church. This whole thing with the days, 1260, 42, I mean, all this stuff. Is to encourage us so that we are not afraid. Not afraid to give our lives to Christ. And finally, who do you see? Look, John, John was a man, the Bible says at the Last Supper that John was the disciple who was sitting next to Jesus and laid his head on Jesus' breast, on his chest. The beloved, they called him the beloved disciple. This was a man whose life was so absorbed with the person of Jesus, whose vision was so unbelievably enraptured with the person and work of Jesus Christ that almost without fail, every so often, if you read the book of Revelation, folks, just read through it or listen to it on on one of the apps on your phone. Listen, and you will hear John repeat, no matter how dark things get in the book of Revelation, no matter how crazy they get, no matter how many beasts come out of the ocean with seven heads and ten horns and fire and smoke and billows and all kinds of... No matter what, every few verses... John can't help himself. Every few verses, he says something like this. He mentions, you remember that great city where our Lord was crucified? He's not talking about just Jerusalem. He's not talking about Sodom. He's not talking about Egypt. He's symbolically saying, you remember the city of God, what St. Augustine called the city of man. He contrasted the city of God with the city of man. And, and John is doing the same thing long before St. Augustine. He's saying, you remember the great city? We're going to see it in a, another chapter. We're going to see this great city of Babylon, this world that is fallen and broken, that is evil to its core. But it needs redemption. That great city, remember the world that Jesus came down from heaven to earth to inhabit? Remember that world, that city, where our Lord was crucified? Redemption. Not just judgment. Redemption. John Calvin said this in the preface to the French Bible, and I've quoted Calvin several weeks now, because I want you to know this. John Calvin was not the 
hard-hearted person we think him to be. Listen to what he said. It's in your bulletin every week, by the way. Preface to the French Bible. All good which could be thought or desired is to be found in Jesus Christ alone. For he, listen, he was humbled to exalt us. He became a slave to free us. He became poor to enrich us. He was sold to redeem us, made a captive for our deliverance, condemned for our absolution. He was made a curse for our blessing, an offering for sin, for our righteousness. He was marred that we might be restored. He died to give us life so that by Him, listen, by Him, harshness is softened, anger appeased, darkness made light, injustice justified, weakness made strong, dejected dejection consoled, sin prevented, scorn despised, fear made sure, debt canceled, toil made light, sadness rejoiced, misfortune made blessed, difficulty eased, disorder ordered, division united, ignominy made noble, rebellion quelled, threats threatened, ambushes uncovered, assaults assailed, effort weakened, combat combated, war warred against, vengeance avenged, torment tormented, damnation damned, ruin ruined, hell held prisoner, death done to death. And immortality made immortal. Will you trust Him? Will you trust this Jesus who was crucified in this world, in this city, the city of man? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your kindness and Your mercy that endures forever. Help us to see these complicated visions to untangle them in our minds and stop trying to puzzle them out, but to see the beauty that the wrath that was poured out on this world has been shortened, has been cut short by the one who stepped into our city and took in himself your wrath and drank it to the dregs. Help us, Father, to embrace Jesus Christ the King And as we come to his table, Father, feed us in our hearts by faith. In his great name, amen.